Welcome to the Come Follow Me podcast for teens and for parents of teens, a podcast to supplement your weekly study of the Come Follow Me curriculum with thoughts, ideas, principles, stories, and questions all geared towards helping teenagers better follow Christ through their teenage years. Hey everybody, welcome to the Come Follow Me podcast for teens. I'm Josh Downs and this week's episode is episode 15 and we're just going to take a look at Easter, the last week of the Savior's life under the theme, O Grave, Where is Thy Victory? I love Easter. I love this time of the year. I love spring because, mostly because, uh, it's a sign that winter is just about over. (laughs) Although, if you live here in Utah with me, you're starting to wonder if there's even going to be a spring because there it just continues to snow and snow and snow but typically this time of year it starts to warm up we start to uh, enjoy the opportunity to get outside a little bit experience the sun and we move eventually here into summer right that's what gets us excited and that's why we love spring and, and you know i think one of the things that's kind of worth pointing out is is even the seasons all things truly do bear testimony of christ as we look at easter and the resurrection we see the, the world and nature and the seasons bear testimony of Christ through the, the rotation of the seasons every single year. We are constantly reminded that there is life, there is death, but then there is the resurrection. There is a newness of life. Because of Christ and the resurrection, all men will live again. And that is just such a comforting, one of the most comforting doctrines of all, isn't it? I just saw a post from a dear friend whose mother had just passed away. And I just thought, how different would the world be without the knowledge that we have of the resurrection? So a lot of good stuff to study this week. I wanted to just start by, first of all, giving you the context. I think this is always helpful to do as it relates to the curriculum, the Come Follow Me curriculum. It's recorded that during the last week of the Savior's life, which is the week that you'll be looking at this week, Many Jews around him were participating in the traditions of Passover. They prepared meals, sang songs, and gathered together to remember the deliverance of the house of Israel from slavery to the Egyptians. Families listened to the story of the destroying angel passing over their homes of their ancestors who had marked their doors with lamb's blood. Amid all these celebrations so rich with the symbolism of deliverance, relatively few were aware that Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, was about to deliver them from the slavery of sin and death through his suffering, his death, and his resurrection. Even so, there were those who recognized Jesus as their promised Messiah, their eternal deliverer. From that time onward, disciples of Jesus Christ have borne witness to all the world that Christ died for our sins and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day. And I just, I love that context. It's so fascinating to me that here you have God's people basically celebrating their deliverance, being reminded of it at a key point in time in their history at the exact same time that the Savior was actually delivering them from death and from sin. Now, of course, none of that was by coincidence. That's all divine design as God does things in that way to help us to see the truth. If we look for those kinds of patterns, we'll find them. And, you know, speaking of finding things, as I'm sure we'll all be involved in several Easter egg hunts throughout the weekend this weekend, that really is one of the best ways, I think, to approach your study this week. You're going to be given a lot in terms of different events that happen each day in the last week of the Savior's life to many of the witnesses that see the resurrection. There's a lot there. And so I just treat it almost like an Easter egg hunt. Just go into each of those sections when you have time and as you choose to, and just see if you can pull something out. Just one thing. Find one little Easter egg in each of those things. 
as I mentioned, one of the suggestions is to every day this week, look at the corresponding day of the Savior's last week through Matthew chapters 21 through about 27, and, and just study that particular day and see if you can pull something out of it. Sunday covers the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Monday is the cleansing of the temple. Tuesday and Wednesday contain different teachings of the Savior while he was in Jerusalem. Thursday is a very significant day with the Passover and Christ's suffering in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Friday uh, includes his trial, the crucifixion and burial. And Saturday is when Christ's body lies in the tomb while his spirit ministers in the spirit world. And then Sunday, of course, is the day that we celebrate on Easter where Christ's resurrection and appearance happened to his disciples and really to all the world. And if you choose to do that, that's a great way to go through the last week of the Savior's life while also making a connection with this week as we uh, approach Easter. So I would definitely recommend you doing that. We're not going to take the time to go into depth of each of those days because we'll be doing that a little bit later as we get uh, a little bit further on in the New Testament. And after that, there's a section that includes several of the witnesses and their personal accounts of their experience with the resurrected Christ. And each of those, again, you can almost treat like an Easter egg hunt and just read through each one and pull out something that's special and significant to you in the way that that they experienced the resurrected Christ, the things that they saw, the things that they felt, the way that he appeared to them and the things that he taught them in each of those experiences is really great. You have things like how Mary was the first to, to see him as she approached the, the tomb. You have the apostles and their experience with Christ. You have many others that are recorded as well. Uh, you have the Nephites in 3rd Nephi chapter 11. You have Mormon. You have Joseph Smith and, and many others that testify to the resurrection of Christ. There are two accounts that I just want to spend a moment on just to share a, a brief thought with. And the first is with the Nephites in 3rd Nephi chapter 11. And I'd invite you to take a look at 3rd Nephi chapter 11 verse 15, where, of course, after the, the destruction following Christ's crucifixion and the three days of darkness, he appears to them and comes to the, the temple. They see him descend out of heaven and they have the opportunity, they're invited by him to come unto him. And the key phrase there to, to mark and to look at is one by one. Because he invites them all to come to him one by one and to feel the nail marks in his hands and feet and the wounds in his side so that they might know for themselves that it is him and that he has been resurrected, that he is risen. And that he really is the one that had been prophesied about for so long. The verse reads in verse 15, as a result of that invitation, says it came to pass that the multitude went forth and thrust their hands into his side and did fill the prints of the nails in his hands and in his feet and this they did do, going forth one by one, until they had all gone forth, and did see with their eyes, and did feel with their hands, and did know of a surety, and did bear record, that it was he of whom it was written by the prophets that should come. And then one of the things I wanted to point out, just especially with you young people, who I know it can be very easy at times to feel like you are lost being in a crowd and a sea of people. This world is so big to us at times, and especially to you. Right? There's so many people can be very easy to feel alone and to feel that we aren't um, seen, that we aren't understood, that we aren't uh, appreciated or even valued. But I want you to know that that is the farthest thing from the truth as it relates to God. That he is not just a God of this earth. He's not just a God of all people, but he is your God and my God. That he is your father and my father and he cares about each and every one of us individually. And that's significant. He is acutely aware of who you are and what you're experiencing in life. 
he knows your joys, but he also knows your sorrows. He knows your heartaches. He knows your pain. He knows all the things that, that you love, but he also knows all the things that you're struggling with. He knows you. And his invitation to come to him, to come follow me, is a personal invitation to you and to me to have the personal experiences with him. Just like he did with the Nephites and all the other witnesses that you'll study about, he invites us and wants us to have those personal experiences with him as well. And it's that kind of experience that leads into the next witness that I want to take a look at of the risen Christ, which is Mormon. And the reason I wanted to take a look at this one is because what's recorded of his experience with the resurrected Christ happened when he was very young. And it happened at a very pivotal point in the Nephite civilization, a very difficult point in that civilization, which I think um, is a parallel and, and can be a parallel in many ways for you young people today. If you'll take a look at Mormon chapter 2, verse 18, take a second and turn there. I want you to, to first of all, see what it is that he's been experiencing as a young people, as a young person, sorry, and see if you can relate to this. In Mormon chapter 2, verse 18, about halfway through the verse, he, he points this out. For behold, a continual scene of wickedness and abominations has been before mine eyes ever since I've been sufficient to behold the ways of man. In other words, he has seen the worst of humanity, and it's been in front of his face all the time, constantly, ever since he was little, and old enough to just even make sense of it. And one of the questions that I think is worth asking is, okay, how was Mormon able then to stay who he was, to stay as good as he was, to overcome all those things, all those temptations, I'm sure, that were in front of his face all the time? Well, in a lot of ways, the key is a few verses earlier in an earlier chapter, in Mormon chapter 1, verse 15. And I think this is absolutely key for each and every one of you, especially as young people in the world today, who you know as well as, as I do and everyone else, that these kinds of things are in front of your face as well. You, you just can't hide it anymore. It's in front of us constantly. Um, you see it all the time everywhere that you go. So the same question could be asked uh, of each of us. How is it then we're able, how can we stay good? How can we stay pure? How can we stay strong in the world that we live in today when everything's being thrown at us and in front of our face and eyes continually? Well, chapter 1, verse 15, this is the verse that records about his experience with the resurrected Christ when he says, And I being 15 years of age, and being somewhat of a sober mind, therefore I was visited of the Lord and tasted and knew of the goodness of Jesus. Boy, did you catch that, young people? What it was that helped him to face all the wickedness in the world that he was living in at that particular time was having experiences with the resurrected Christ, being invited to come to him one by one personally and having those personal experiences with him. As he said, he had tasted and knew of the goodness of Jesus. And I love that word, tasted. It, it reminds me of an experience that I used to share quite a bit back when I was teaching seminary uh, of an experience that I had with Captain Crunch. That, <laughs> I'd always tell my students that was one of my favorite go-to foods at the end of a hard day was a big bowl of Captain Crunch, not just some sissy bowl. I'm talking like Tupperware size bowl, you know, half of a, a box of Captain Crunch, half a gallon of milk, and I was, I was good. Well, as, as the story is told, there was a particular day where we were had run out of Captain Crunch. My mom, instead of picking up Captain Crunch, picked up 
that new bag cereal at the time that was, I think it was called Colossal Crunch. And she knew that I, I wouldn't make the switch willingly. So when I asked her to bring me a bowl, she said she'd be happy to. And she brought me not a bowl of Captain Crunch, but of Colossal Crunch, thinking that there'd be no way I'd be able to really tell the difference. I mean, it was the same shape and size, and I'm sure that the taste had to be pretty close. And, and it is, right, for those that have tried it. But when she gave it to me and I said thank you, she started to walk away. It only took me one bite to be able to tell something was wrong. And I said, Mom, uh, something's wrong with my Captain Crunch. And she, she said, what do you mean something's wrong with your Captain Crunch? And I said, I, I don't know. It just it tastes different. It's getting soggy too fast. It, it's missing those little ridges <laughs> that you know, are designed to keep it crunchy. I mean, that's how well I knew my Captain Crunch at the time. And the principle that I learned for that for myself was that I think it, I, I coined it this way. The more you eat of the real thing, the easier it will be to detect its imitation. And I think that's the key. That was the key for, um, for Mormon and for all of us, especially you as young people, is the more you eat of what's real, the more you taste of the goodness of Jesus, the more that the world will taste bitter. It'll taste sour. It won't be as good. And you'll be able to tell the difference. Um, one of my favorite things to do is go fishing. And it's pretty common to sense to, to know that the easiest fish to catch are which ones? It's the little ones. It's the youngest ones because they haven't had as much experience with fake food. <laughs> as, as those that are, are big, that are seasoned fish, those are the hardest to catch because they can tell even the littlest difference. Why? Because they have eaten so much of the real thing that they could tell when something fake is placed before them. Satan is referred to as the great deceiver, and he is going about deceiving the nations. And one of the things that we all can do to ensure ourselves uh, that we don't get deceived by him is to eat as much of the real thing as possible. And so, young people, please support your parents as they encourage you to uh, join them for church, as they encourage you to participate in family prayer or scripture study, um, as they invite you to do a lot of those things on your own. Support your seminary teachers as, as they try to teach you the gospel in class. Be involved in those lessons and those activities. Same with the, your young men's, young women's programs and leaders. Any place that you can to feel of the Spirit and to have those personal one-by-one -one experiences with Christ. Because in the end, it's those experiences that will help you to be able to tell what is real and what isn't. What will bring you joy versus what will bring you heartache. And it worked for Mormon, and that is, to me, one of the greatest uh, reasons why I love his testimony that you'll look at this week of the resurrected Savior, because he not only saw him, but he experienced him. He tasted of his goodness in his life, and it changed his life for the better. Now, as far as the key principle for this week that I just wanted to spend a little bit of time on, it's going to be in Matthew chapter 28, verse 6, and it's just one line. I just I want you to mark one line in there for me as you go through and read about his resurrection. And it's simply this. He is not here, for he is risen. And I want you to think for a moment about the significance of that statement. He is not here. Where is here? Here is in a very dark place. It's a tomb. The tomb is symbolic of everything that is dark and depressing and discouraging and fearful that exists in the world. And Christ is not there any longer. Where is he? Well, he's risen above it. He's risen out of it. He has overcome it. The mark of the resurrection is a reminder to all of us that Christ has fully overcome 
everything that is bad and discouraging and depressing and evil in this world. And because he has, well, we can too. And I want you to imagine for just a moment just how dark that Friday was, the the Friday of his crucifixion, for so many of, of those that were closest to Christ. How dark it was for his mother, how dark it was for his friends that had come to love him, for his disciples that had followed him, his apostles who had that close personal relationship with him. How dark it was for the Nephites who just went through a period of darkness and destruction and and three days without light. How dark it was for all those that believed in him. How dark it even was for Heavenly Father watching his son suffer in the way that he did. You know, it's, it's one thing to be taught about the resurrection if you were them back then. Because Christ did often refer to himself as, as overcoming death and being resurrected. But yet it's a whole nother thing to see someone that you believe to be the Son of God and had come to love so intently to watch him being scourged and then crucified and then laid in a tomb, seemingly powerless to do anything about it. Can you imagine the doubts and the fear and in many ways the state of hopelessness that must have rested upon all of them? Well, again, in the midst of this particular dark period, which I would say probably the darkest period in all the earth's history, in all of human history, a period that was marked by discouragement, by a loss of faith, a loss of hope, and immense pain, came a simple statement to those that came to the Savior's tomb, not just carrying spices to anoint his body, but also carrying the pain of a broken heart, carrying the pain of loss and carrying the, the pain from fear of the unknown, of what's going to happen now, what's going to happen next. Well, they found the tomb empty. The darkness, the pain, and death, symbolic of the grave, had been opened, and a single angel declared, He is not here, for He is risen. Risen from what? Well, risen from death, risen from suffering, from sorrow, from the mocking and persecution of others, risen from sickness and temptation, from pain, risen from the world, from the tomb and every dark thing that it represents. That's why I love that statement so much. And the best news of all is because he has, we can too, and we will too. Especially if we follow him because he knows the way now, having walked it first and having walked it alone. As someone wisely once said, if you want to get somewhere, find someone who has already been there and ask them for directions. Well, we don't even have to ask. He's already given us the directions and invited us to come follow him. He stated in one scripture, I am come a light in the world, that whosoever believeth on me shall not abide in darkness. The example and power of his rising from pain and darkness to joy and light is really the message and hope that Easter can bring to all of us and is what I hope that you find for yourself as you study this week, the the last week of the, the Savior's life. Elder Joseph B. Worthlin taught this truth so powerfully when he said, Just like the dark Friday of the Savior's death and crucifixion, each of us will have our Fridays, those days when the universe itself seems shattered and the shards of our world is littered about us in pieces. We will experience those broken times when it seems we can never be put together again. We will all have our Fridays. And young people, please understand that you will. There is no way around it. You will have those moments in your life. I can attest to that. Personally, I've had them multiple times throughout my life where I just didn't know how I could ever pick up the pieces again, how I could keep going, how I could still find joy in life. 
going through disappointment after disappointment as a, as a young person, uh, losing jobs and friends and girlfriends that I, I loved, um, going through the pain of divorce and, and other things later on in life, having my own health problems and crisis of faith, I can attest that yes, each of us will have our Fridays. But then, then, Elder Worthland says this, but I testify to you in the name of the one who conquered death, Sunday will come. In the darkness of our sorrow, Sunday will come. No matter our desperation, no matter our grief, in this life or the next, Sunday will come. That is the message of hope for each of us. That is the message that we can find and refind each and every Easter. Because he's not here. He is no longer hurting, no longer in pain, no longer in sorrow, no longer broken, no longer in darkness, for he is risen. And this is not just a promise of what will be one future day. As wonderful as that is, it's also an invitation for what can be here and now. Through this declaration, we are invited to leave our own places of darkness and come to find him and to find rest. As he says, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Like he did with Peter, like we've studied in previous weeks, we can call out to him and reach out to him, seek his help, and he will reach down to us and pull us out of the depths of our own storms and the water that threatens to overcome us, the dark places that we find ourselves in, and bring us up on top of them again. He will help us rise out of the darkness and come into the light. But we need to seek him. One prophet in scripture pled for us to do that when he said, And now I commend you to seek this Jesus of whom the prophets have written, that the grace of God the Father and also the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Ghost which beareth record of them may be in and abide in you forever. The grace to do what? Well, the grace to overcome those tombs, those dark places that we find ourselves in in life. You know, every year I've watched my daughters, ever since they were little, scramble around the yard and house with so much excitement looking for Easter eggs that have been hidden for them to find. I've watched over the years as my nieces and nephews have joined in the fun and excitement as well, to the point where now each year there are so many grandkids that when the gate to my parents' commons area opens up, it's it's almost like a dam has broken and the floodwaters have come rushing out as all the kids go pushing through that little opening, spilling out all over into the wooded grassy area looking for eggs and laughing with the light as they find them. I watch this happen, as I said, year after year, and every time I'm reminded of how we need to be, of how I need to be more like these children in seeking Christ and trying to find him with the same type of enthusiasm and hope and excitement and resolve. They will not stop until every last egg is found and they found their own personal baskets. Well, The joy that is on their faces as they find their eggs and baskets is the same kind of joy that we can experience each day as we seek and find him ourselves. As he said to us, draw near unto me and I will draw near unto you. Seek me and ye shall find me. I know that one of the places we need to seek him the most is in our own dark places. Because he's risen out of his, he can help us to rise out of ours. Moses found him in the hopelessness of facing Pharaoh's army against the Red Sea. Daniel found him in a lion's den about to be eaten. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego found him in a fiery furnace that they were cast in. Jonah found him in the belly of a whale. Esther found him in a decree to have her and her people killed by the king. Nephi found him and his family in the wilderness. 
David found him facing Goliath. Joseph found him in Carthage jail, and the pioneers, if you remember, they found him on the plains. In each situation, in each dark place, the message of Easter through Christ became their message. They were no longer there, for they were risen as well. So, young people, don't lose hope when you're in dark places. In fact, those are the places that should fill us with hope the most because that is where Christ has always come to help His people, to support them, to strengthen them, and at times when needed, to deliver them. And most importantly for each of us, He can help us rise above our sins and weaknesses. As He said, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. And you know, I think as an important side note, as we seek Him, I think we we must try to remember that today He will be found best in the needs of others. He won't be found in a manger anymore. It's empty now. And He won't be found in a tomb anymore. It's empty now as well. But He will be found in the needs of your friends, in the needs of your family and their struggles, your neighbors, and even in strangers who could use your help. Remember, we rise by lifting others. Because when we lift others, we lift him, and he pulls us up with him. As he said, inasmuch as you've done it into one of the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. Now, I hope that you have a great Easter this week. I really just have one key question, journal question, discussion question, and even application question. And that is this for this week. How does your faith in the Savior and the promise of the resurrection influence the way you live? How has it shaped your life? How has it changed your life for the better, knowing that because of him and because of his resurrection, every single one of us will live again. And every single one of us has the opportunity to overcome not just death, but sin as well. That's the question that I think is worth most considering this week. And then, of course, trying to find ways to continue to have those individual experiences with the resurrected Christ so that you too can taste and know of the goodness of Christ so that everything else will taste bitter to you. As a concluding thought, I love the prophet Joseph's testimony and his witness of the living Christ when he says, And now after the many testimonies which have been given of him, this is the testimony last of all which we give of him, that he lives. For we saw him even on the right hand of God, and we heard the voice bearing record that he is the only begotten of the Father, that by him and through him and of him the worlds are and were created, and the inhabitants thereof are begotten sons and daughters unto God. Remember, He is not here. He is risen. And because He is risen, we too can rise. Remember, that person is greatest and most blessed and joyful whose life most closely approaches the pattern of the Christ. This, as always, has nothing to do with earthly wealth, power, prestige. The only true test of greatness, blessedness, joyfulness is how close a life can come to being like the Master Jesus Christ. He is the right way, the full truth, and the abundant life. And He invites us all to come follow me. So, let's all follow Him better this week and become better as we follow Him. Have a great Easter week, you guys. Enjoy your study. Until next week, everyone, I'm Josh Downs, and this is Come Follow Me for Teens.